Um, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 19. I'm sorry, chapter 2, starting in verse 19, all the way to chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Okay? Here's what it says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father who has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Aphrodite, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Good morning, Robert. So Paul's leaving his theological discussion that we've been having and, and the in-depth look and some of the different things, and he's leaving it to uh, give really a brief report on a couple people. One himself, another one Timothy, and then the other one, this uh, Aphroditus. Which, by the way, Aphroditus is a Greek word that um, has its derivative off of the Greek goddess Aphrodite. And so it, it proves that this person was, um, you know, a pagan that was saved, right? And uh, um, or at least raised that way because his parents named him after a Greek goddess. And uh, so here is a word. And by, by the way, you notice I kind of struggled a little with, with that word because I really hadn't thought through how to say it. Good morning, Pat. Um, I, I had somebody once tell me that don't worry about how words are pronounced in the Bible. Um when somebody asked how to pronounce them, they said, just say it differently than the other person. It's okay. you know. So whether it be Aphroditus or Aphroditus or, uh, you know, however you want to say it, but, uh, um, you know, it doesn't matter the pronunciations, okay? Um, so this section that we just read, it's really descriptive. It's, it's rich in imagery. It, it kind of even repeats itself and gives some liturgical references to the church because, you know, this is written to church. They knew who these people were, and um, even the early church fathers will speak about many of them. But, um, and like I say, it actually ended, and we read all the way to the start of chapter 3, verse 1. That was the natural ending. In fact, the word that is translated here, rejoice in the Lord, doesn't necessarily mean rejoice. It actually... The, the original word in Greek was should be translated more like farewell in the Lord. But it, it was kind of a joyful farewell, and it gave this idea of a continual farewell. But it's not the end of the book, so how can that be? How can there be a farewell uh, in the middle of this? Good morning, Ray. And so I kind of had mentioned it before. Many scholars think that the book of Philippians that we know as Philippians was actually three different letters. 
um, two, if not three different letters that had been combined. And, and um, you know, some, some would say they were two short letters that were combined, that a scholar somewhere in the early church took them, combined them all as the letters to the to church in Philippi and you know, that type of thing. So whether it be one or two or even three, like I say, because some say that starting in verse uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, that that last little bit was also another short letter, kind of like the book of Philemon, right? We know there were short letters. They weren't all long. They might have been an attached addendum to another letter that then was sent by way of because they knew that they would stop in Philippi, and um, they could have been a larger. So this could have been like, let's say they were sending the book of Galatians out uh, or Ephesians out, and then they tacked on this little PS postscript with this little letter and so three of them were combined into the letter of the philippians and and can i tell you it's okay it's okay not to know and it's okay to even for scholars to question that it's um we we sometimes take the belief that if i were to believe that maybe this was three letters and it wasn't always intended to be one that it's um is somehow subverting the gospel, that it's somehow subverting the faith, it's somehow subverting the the um, idea of the inerrancy of God's word. And can I tell you, it does not. It, it does not. <laughs> it, it's, it's okay that scholars might think this is three letters. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It's all included because it's all a part of the concept of salvation that God's message to us, and it is part of letters that have been created and are still around, because there were letters, I mean, read through, read through, um, you know, the, the, the Kings and Chronicles, and it says, is not the rest of the reign listed in the uh, um, Chronicles of Ido the Seer? Well, we don't have that anymore. We don't have the books of the kings of Israel anymore, the books of the kings of Judah. We don't, we don't have those. Those aren't in existence anymore. And so the fact that these letters to the Philippi church are still in existence, and maybe they're combined into one, or maybe it was one, but it's okay. It's what's still around and what God intended for us as a church to listen and understand and learn to know more of him. Um, and so this could have been two letters. This could have been the end of the first letter. And that's why in the original text it says, farewell in the Lord. Um, if it wasn't the end of, uh, of a short letter, maybe maybe Paul was beginning to realize that he would not see them again. And maybe he was giving his farewell. We don't know. We don't know. Just some things to think about. It doesn't distract from the message at all. It doesn't subvert the faith to think that. So Paul's in prison. He's facing trial. He's facing possible execution. He can't come to resume the ministry in Philippi. And so what does he do? He sends an underling. He is sending someone else to preach the gospel, to pick up for him. Sending an emissary. He's sending an ambassador. In this case, it's Timothy, right? It's it's Timothy. And, and you know, can I tell you, Paul understood the importance of creating and sending out a new leader, raising up a new leader. You know, it's not about him. If, if the gospel and the church was all about Paul or about the early apostles, it would have died with them in 100s. 
you know, the last apostle John died somewhere in what, 110 AD, I believe, you know, it was um, somewhere in that area. Might have been earlier, I don't remember, but in that area, and the church would have died with it. But they raised up leaders. They understood this idea of succession. They understood the idea of legacy, a legacy that doesn't focus on me, but focuses on someone else. You know, if the church, as I said yesterday, if the church was uh, focused around one key person, then it dies with that. If our gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of evangelism was all around Billy Graham being the great evangelist, and when he died, then it died with him, right? And that shouldn't be. It can't be. We raise up the next leaders. We raise up the next generation. You know, what if every disciple made one disciple? What if every teacher trained up one teacher? What if, I heard the story, Albert, Albert Tate um, is a, uh, a well-known preacher. Um, if you've never heard him, you've got to check out some of his stuff. He, he's a fun, uh, very fun preacher does a lot with Exponential Conference, and um, he told the story, at least I believe it was him, and he told the story of, uh, of how he got involved in the church. You see, there was a guy playing the organ, and the guy playing the organ said, hey, Albert, come turn my pages. So he sat on the organ bench with this great organist, turning his pages. And then eventually the organist says, hey, hey, you know how to play, don't you? Yeah, I want you to play the offertory. I want you to learn how to play. I want you to practice this song, and next month you're playing the offertory. And then before long, he found that the offertory turned into a song in the middle of the worship, and the next thing he knew, he was the main organist. <laughs> you know, that's how we train up leaders. We bring somebody alongside, and we say, hey, I I'm going to be here this Sunday, but you know what? I want a break. You teach. Here's the passage. Here's, here's even some material you can use. I want you to teach. I'm going to be right there with you, but hey, why don't you teach? And you walk alongside and you build up a teacher. You build up a disciple. Because can I tell you, in a church of 300, if everybody were to build up a disciple, then quickly we've made an impact of 600. And if those 600 all made a disciple, then there's 1,200, right? And if those 1,200 all make another disciple, then there's 2,400. And or Just think about it. Just think about it. In a matter of just a few years, we could reach all 3,003 people in the village of Jefferson. But we've reduced, we've given in to reductionism of thinking that my walk with Christ is personal. It's all about me. And I'm not making leaders. I'm not raising up disciples. I'm not teaching and training the next generation. You know, in the Old Testament, in, or in New Testament, in Greek, there's a word called oikos. Oikos, it's not the Greek yogurt, okay? Um, but oikos is the term for family. For family. So, so often it talked about like the, uh, um, the jailer. The jailer who uh, Paul and Silas uh, you know, the, they're praying, they're, they're, they're singing, and the jail falls down, and he's ready to kill himself. And they say, no, 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 we're all here. And it says the jailer and his entire oikos were saved. You realize oikos is not just a word for family. 
Oikos meant a sphere of influence. It meant those around them. You know, in our oikos, we in our lives have a group of people, typically science, uh, psychologists say 8 to 15 people, that we have an impact in their lives. When you truly think about who your 8 to 15 are and you are intentional, that you consistently are seeking to build into them more into the kingdom, to disciple them, to grow them, Think of the difference that that makes when we are specific about our oikos. So if nothing else, I challenge you to think about that. Who are your 8 to 15? Who are the people that you have in your influence? Maybe it's family. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's coworkers. Maybe it's neighbors. Who do you see on a consistent basis that you can begin to pray for right now? Pray for daily that God would open up a way for you to disciple and to lead and even to to reach out and share the love of Christ with. Good morning, Steve. Who's in your oikos? So Paul realizes that it's important to build up the next generation. You know, I challenged the board this past weekend, or past week, um, just to look at our own church. Where would we be in five years? Where will we be in 10, in 15 For some, we may not be here. We may not be on this earth. What does our church look like? Like many churches, we are a church missing a generation. We have very few in the 20 to 30 year old range. How do we change that? How do we reach the lost in a brand new way so that as the saints age, and the saints receive their glory, their, their prize and glorification, that with them the church doesn't die. The church's four walls does not die. It was a sobering thought. Because if something doesn't change, even in our church, a healthy church of almost 300, uh, post-COVID, right? 300 in attendance, in 15 years, 40% of those people may not be around. What is our legacy? How are we growing into the, building into the next generation? So Paul then begins to give a testimony and testimony of his trust in the Lord. His trust in the Lord that he's not seeking to pull any emotional manipulation over the church in Philippi. He's not threatening and he's not even promising them. It's this testimony time. He shares his hope and that his hope is to die and his hope is to see them again. It's a tension hope, right? He really wants to go see God, but he also really doesn't want to die and doesn't doesn't, you know, wants to see them again. And it's also a farewell, a farewell on the Lord. But not just a farewell. It's not a farewell to believers, right? It's that truth of the now and the not yet that he knows that even if he were to pass away now, that he would see them again in glory when he receives that prize, that, that prize in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He compliments their maturity and their knowledge and their love. He wants, to see, he wants them to see that his death is really it's an act of worship. That if he were to die, that it is an act of worship. 
for Christ Jesus. Romans 12, 1, it, you know, tells us that the Christ, in, in Christ, that life is an act of worship. Romans 15, 16 tells us the mission of the nations is an act of worship. You see, he realizes that in the end, his act of worship is not an act of worship to glorify Rome. His act of worship is not a, to glorify anybody or any denomination or any religious group. It is to glorify Jesus Christ and Him only. That's the one thing. That's the main thing. And it's for us too today. We are not here to glorify an allegiance to anything, any denomination, any group, any race other than Jesus Christ and the ministry of the gospel. You know, I can imagine in reading this, the you know, in his final farewell, if you will, the Philippians probably again were brought to tears, and then they remembered this at his death. And then at his death, I think they truly worshipped, right? Because they knew that he finally had received the prize that he so often sought. Paul also then provides for the leadership of the church in the future. He doesn't want to see his ministry in vain. He doesn't want to see the churches fall apart because he's gone. He is setting up even right now that people begin to listen to Timothy. They begin to listen to Aquila and Priscilla and, and so many others. He's raising up these leaders because he knows he won't always be with them, right? It's like parents, we raise up our children because we know they won't always, we won't always be with them to tell them what to do. He built up and trained the future leaders. He sends them Timothy as an underling, as an understudy, but he doesn't send them Timothy because sometimes I, I've heard it from, from churches before. Well, he's a really young pastor and we'll bring him on and we just hope he matures more. We hope that he learns to understand more. We, we put up with him. And, and that leads to this idea of people saying, well, you know what? I know more than your theology degree. <laughs> I know more than your studies. I know more than, instead of, and, and that, that sometimes is a fault of our universities. Hear me out. It's not just a fault of the people in the church. It's the fault of our universities. It's the fault of, of not training up leaders who jump into that pulpit preaching things that they haven't fully worked out in their own theology yet that we're struggling with and instead of giving perhaps and giving but then you know multiple angles like we kind of did with eschatology but then having the maturity enough to say but this is what i believe and this is what i think scripture believes right and pointing people to the truth of scripture we have individuals that jump up in the pulpit and well, they give their ideas. They give their mindset, and their ideas and mindset are based more on personal preference than they are on the Word of God. So he didn't send Timothy as an underling who was in that spot. He sent him as someone who was trained, who was ready. He had given him all the examples. You know, so often in even residencies where, where, where we teach our residents to be grunts, underlings we don't teach them to take over you know i had somebody years ago years ago in retail tell me hire people who are more qualified for your job than you are and i've always sought to do that it's scary at times it's scary when i have employees that are more qualified 
for my job than I was. Uh, the first time that I was a district manager, I, I was in a district um, that had one, two, three, four, I think, at one time four XDMs who had been in my role and two of them in my district. And I had to lead them. So I didn't go in with the attitude of I know it all, but I went in with an attitude of, hey, you've done it before. How can you help me? How can you help this group? How can you help this district? We're called to train up and lead up and make sure that people are ready. Paul also speaks of this Aphroditus, you know, and it's kind of interesting. He, he, you know, why talk about Aphroditus and he's sending back Aphroditus, but you just see Philippi sent this gentleman. They sent him to help Paul. But then he got sick. And so you could imagine that they, they might feel like Paul might be mad because they sent somebody who then got sick and might have been a burden on the ministry. And so they were fearful. And, and you know, Paul right away says, no, he commends him. He commends him for even risking his life and sends him back with blessings. So, the, the challenge to us out of this passage, sometimes we skip over these because, well, he's just commending some people. He's just talking about them. But the challenge to us is this. It's do we take the command seriously to grow personally, to grow in our own knowledge, to not become stagnant in our walk with Jesus Christ, to grow and to go, to go out so that we do things like our church, our vision, our, our, our mission of the church is to deliver the word, disciple the believer, and deploy the church. To deploy the church in a way that we're leading up leaders. That we see even students and children as the next children's pastor. That we see them as the next youth pastor. As we see them as the next church planter. As we see them as the next worship leader or musician or greeter or ministry leader. Whatever it might be, we see them as the next and even the now. When we get them involved and we grow in them and we, we, we work in them, we believe that Jesus is coming and we don't want to be caught complacent. Do we take that command seriously to grow, to go and to lead up others, to build into the next leaders, to work ourselves out of a job, what if every single ministry leader in a church were to try to work themselves out of a job? Only then will a church break growth barriers. Only then will a church adequately pass barriers and become larger to where then they can plant other churches and revitalize other churches. Only when ministry leaders don't see it as their ministry but they see it as God's ministry and they seek to build up new leaders, then the church will grow. Do we take that seriously? Because if it's about us, we don't. If it's about God, then we do. Duplicate ourselves as we duplicate Christ. Right? That's what Paul meant when he says later on, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Duplicate ourselves as we duplicate Christ. We don't have to serve. We get to serve. And we get to build into the next group and the next generation, the next leaders. 
for his glory, for his sake, not for ours, not for our denomination, not for our religious affiliation, right? But for Jesus Christ, him crucified and coming again. So Heavenly Father, we we give you our ministries. We give you, not. it may not be a ministry necessarily inside of a church. We may not be leading any ministry, but our life and our walk with you is a ministry to others. Our baptism was a symbol of ordination, if you will, into that call to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And that burden to build into, to grow and to go, to lead up, lead into, build up that next generation, that next leader. So it's not always the next generation. It's sometimes even just our generation. It's building into new leaders, building into the next teachers, expanding and duplicating ourselves as we seek to duplicate you. Because then they're not clones of us, they're clones of you. <laughs> so God, give us the peace to do that. Give us the abilities to do that. If there's anything that's holding us back, the desire to be the one looked to, the one in charge to any of that, Lord, may we be convicted of that. May we have a holy discontent until you wipe that away from us. May everything we do be about building into someone. May we not be complacent or stagnant in our walk with you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, everybody. We'll go in peace and have a great rest of the day.